Alright, welcome back everybody to Repeal the 20th Century. Today we have a very special guest. We have Tho Bishop. Do you want to introduce yourself, Tho? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm assistant editor for the, the Mises Institute. Um, before that, I was deputy communications director for the Cal Spanish Services Committee. Um, been having fun talking about uh, paleo libertarianism and libertarian strategy. And uh, yeah, great to join you. Yeah. So, I mean, the big reason I wanted to have you on, though, is um, I think back at Mises University, we had some great conversations about uh, strategy and, you know, kind of playing, playing the game of politics as libertarians, which uh, I think a lot of libertarians are starting to open up to that idea. Um, I think the whole point of the Mises caucus actually is... Uh, at least in the Libertarian Party and even in the GOP Party, is that whole thing. So I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, wh what is the, the practical um, strategy that you are using personally for people who don't know? Yeah, well, I, I think one of the things when we talk about strategy, one of the, there's value in looking at where we've had success in the past. And I think that there is this sort of belief within libertarian circles that libertarians have never had success in politics. And I think that that ends up lending itself to, you know, third party sort of appeals, right? Because if the current system has never provided success, then you want to work outside of it, all sort of stuff. And so I, I, I think there are historical examples of libertarian ideas being successful. And I think that uh, there's value in understanding why those were. Um, you know, one area in particular I've been looking at in, has been 90s politics, which I think has a lot of relevance in the modern political system in a variety of different ways. Interesting, even his interview with Bill Crystal, or uh, his, his debate with Bill Crystal, um, you know, Bill Crystal, uh, 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 with, with Scott Horton, Bill Crystal talked about the degree to which, you know, events in the 90s shaped his current worldview. And I think he's talked to Scott Horton, I mean, his experiences, he's, uh, you know, everything that happened there between Waco and, and interventions overseas. I mean, that also kind of radicalized him. So I, I, it's, it's very interesting how many, how, how much of American politics was shaped in the 90s. Um, and within that, you had the success of Ron Paul's 1996 congressional campaign, um, which was part of this paleo era where you, know, you had libertarians like Lou Rockwell and Mary Rothbard very closely aligned with Pat Buchanan and the populist right. Um, and again, I think when you see where that sort of movement is today. Tucker Carlson being the perhaps the, the largest voice in conservative media. The success of Donald Trump, obviously. Um, you know, I think that there, this this obviously highlights opportunities for libertarians to you know try to understand why Dr. Paul was successful in the way so many others were not. Obviously, there's things unique to him, having him you know been in Congress prior, et cetera. But there's some value there because that was a very close election. It was it was not. Oh, here, here comes Congressman Ron Paul coming back to this district. He's running in a different seat. He's running against an established uh, uh, politician who actually changed parties at the request of Newt Gingrich. Um, so he had a lot of backing by Republican establishment folks trying to make sure they did not have Dr. Paul back in. He still won. So that's important. But I think it's even more fun, too, is that you can go diver deeper back. Of course, as libertarians, we, are, we tend to be um, very nerdy. You know, very intellectually driven, right? And so mm -hmm. you don't want, and, and and so I think that you know, there's a, there's a 
appreciation there for, for, for history at times instead of going further back. Um, you know, you had, uh, uh, there were interesting aspects of the conservative movement that Murray Rothbard was not a part of um, with kind of uh, uh, the degree to which, you know, for example, Goldwater's campaigns sparked a whole bunch of libertarian interests, including uh, uh, Rockwell. There's aspects of, so, you know, what, what made his campaign attractive to radicalizing certain people in the right direction in spite of bad foreign policy there. If you look before that, you got the old right, um, you know, which you know, particularly between you know, well, after you know, during World War One up to uh, uh, you know all the opposition they could mount against the New Deal, um, you know libertarians were not were a very small number. What had outsized influence and in kind of this reaction to progressive overreach, um, and then if you go back even further, the Jacksonians I think you know is 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 perhaps the most successful example of libertarian ideas succeeding in a national standpoint. And while I I, I get you know you, you go too far back and it starts looking like an alien world. <laughs> and you think, you know, how, how can, you know, Andrew Jackson-style politics have relevance today? I, I think the degree to which, again, populist appeals against corporate interests, um, but the, the importance of having that sort of great man figure, which Jackson was, I think the Jacksonians kind of fell apart when he replaced Andrew Jackson with Martin Van Buren. Um, Martin Van Buren, I think, it was, was the, the more ideological libertarian of the two by far, but, like, you know, the, the, you need that sort of figure and politics and mm -hmm. that, that Van Buren was not. Um, and, and so that that's, you know, I, I think by taking, looking at a historical, you know, you know, going nerdy on, you know, these aspects of American history that I think are, are often overlooked in libertarian circles, I think that we can identify potential value as we address where we are at as a movement, as a people, as a nation. Um, and how to interact with it as such. And uh, that's, I'm, I'm glad that there's a lot more interest in the subject more broadly. And now it's the time to refining uh, some of the ideas out there to figure out uh, what, what's the best way to proceed going forward. Yeah, um, I think that's really interesting. Though something I see a lot of people put out as a criticism is that most the most recent attempt at this strategy was with Ron Paul's campaign in um, 2008 and 2012, and people are like, "Well, he was stopped in his tracks." You know, Fox News uh, would would leave him out of news reports. He they would selectively try to get him out of debates. There was selective coverage even though he was very popular and they just did everything they could to stop him and a lot of people see that as that working through the GOP is, is an impossible for libertarians it, because they'll just stop them at every road when they actually try to succeed what, what would you say is the counter argument to that? Well, I think it's ironic because it's, it typically comes from libertarian party Mises caucus sort of folks and yet mm -hmm. their entire example you know, so, so they're trying to have a kick in too. They want to try to paint Ron Paul's experience in Republican campaigns as the negative, yet their entire justification for existing is following the model of Ron Paul. So either Ron Paul's campaigns were successful, not necessarily in a Ron Paul presidency sort of way, mm -hmm. um, or they were. <laughs> in yeah. which case, what are you doing, right? Uh, I tend to take the point of view that Ron Paul's campaign was a great success, and I think if you look at uh, again, the problem is, is that you have people that want to fixate purely on, you know, presidential races, and I think that's stupid. I, mm -hmm. I think it's a very, I think it's a very silly way of looking at this. It's very childish, 
Mm-hmm. It's you know I, I didn't get my one way you know, my way in this one big thing, and so I you know so, so I'm gonna you know, act like this is you know, some some, some great feat. Whereas if you actually looked at the moment, the PT party movement um, obviously did not go to nearly the extent things wanted. And, and Congress itself, in particular, like we, we elected we, we elected a lot of people that were interesting. Mm-hmm. Some of them were very favorable to Ron Paul. A lot of them had instincts that were very libert- that were more libertarian than your average Republican up to that point. Um, we got rid of a lot of bad liber- uh, Republicans as well, which sometimes is a value in itself. Um, the Tea Party movement failed because Washington is not something that can be changed from within in this regard, right? You know, you had committee staffers that had more power than uh, Tea Party elected freshmen. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it is, you know, it is what, I mean, it, again, the Tea Party still took down John, you know, John Boehner, like there, there's, there, you had sequestration, like if you want to find examples of a little kernels of, the Tea Party made a difference, you could find them. Yeah. Um, not as big as we'd like. Uh, but if you look at the state level, I think that you saw a lot more very interested, uh, interesting state candidates in a variety of different ways. Um, you know, uh, you, you, you had you know, Tom Davis, who was a state senator out in South Carolina, who was you know, wearing Murray Rothbard shirts. You had interesting Tenth Amendment stuff going on throughout the country with the work that Michael Bolden uh, and, and the Tenth Amendment Center has done you know, different sponsor things. You had a lot of you know, you, you have a map of the way the gun laws have changed, you know, with a lot of growth in the last few, uh, you know, last decade or so. Um, so again, I, I think that you can identify significant political victories within the sort of era of the Tea Party movement, which Ron Paul was definitely a major part of it. Um, but more importantly, though, is the fact that, you know, the, the GOP has also changed, the media has also changed. More importantly, the relationship between the public and the GOP has changed. And, and I think you know, people act as if the Republican Party is this powerful monolith that dictates, that dictates where the Republican Party goes. It, it doesn't. If it did, Donald Trump would have never been the nominee. He would not have been president, and he would not continue to be the most uh, powerful force on the right. Um, and so when you have Republicans that no longer trust or even have trust less the establishment of the RNC, um, even after Trump's own fingerprints on it now, um, that distrust in that system provides opportunities for candidate for, for, for movements that recognize that the system does not deserve that trust. Um, so again, politics in 2021 is very different than politics in 2008 or 2012. And I think that you know, by most measurements, with perhaps some discourse on the economic issues, um, you know, all of the ways the Republican Party is different is to our favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I agree with that for the majority. Like one of the big appeals for me that the Mises Caucus had, um, and and still has, to, you know, to a greater extent. But I think, you know, as it's gotten bigger, it's sort of fixated its tendencies back to some really bad libertarian tendencies that are have. Uh, doomed the Libertarian Party to what it is right now, and, you know, the appeal for me was that, you know, it was going to focus more on state and local stuff, because I really agree that that's the future of Libertarian victory, is focusing on those local and state uh, elections. I mean, my previous workplace, Young Americans for Liberty, just look at all the great work they've done with the win at the door pack, you know, getting Republicans who are Liberty Republicans elected to state. And they've 
made huge victories and swathing victories, more so than the LP has. And I think a lot of libertarians are still very cautious of the GOP just because of what happened with Ron Paul. But I, I, I think they're thinking about it in too linear of terms of that I have to pick the, the LP Mises Caucus or the GOP Mises Caucus when I, I don't see why they can't work together. Would you agree with that, that, that they could work together or no. I think it's impossible? It doesn't, it doesn't work that way, Paul. I'm sorry. It does, it, you know, it, it'd be, you know... Okay. Uh, uh, because if you're a libertarian on the ballot and you're a Republican on the ballot, you're, you're negative. You're, you're running against each other. It's a zero-sum game. Now, some, some states are a little bit different than that in terms of, oh, well... But I, I, you know, I, I, I don't. There's nothing the LP Mises Caucus provides mm. me, right? Like who, who like, that's and that's the whole thing. The libertarians act like the Republican, like the the, the value to the Republican Party for libertarians is not that it is it, the Republican Party is the best that provides the value. The libertarian, like yes, you know, the libertarian is trading upwards in that mm -hmm. regard, right? It's like I, you know. Um, uh, there's not some sort of large libertarian election, you know, electoral base that oh, if Republicans can like crack that nut, you know, it's going to dominate the landscape. No, I mean like, what what the the, the it's, it's it's asymmetric. Whereas libertarians can have an outsized influence on Republican officials far more than libertarians can contribute to Republican officials. And so again, like, hmm. that's, that's where the power dynamic is there. I do think the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus at its best served as a critique of the capital L libertarian brand, um, you know, served as a fine mirror against some of the absurdities and the, and the, and the, the, the just the jokish individuals, the unserious folks that call themselves political libertarians. Um, the problem is, of course, is that once you go from being a critique to being a governing coalition, mm -hmm. you're no longer a critique, right? I mean, you, you've got... Yeah. The, the, the LP Mises Cox Day is full of the same losers that it was meant to critique. And I'm not saying all. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I agree the, with the, that. The OGs, you know, the, the OGs. But but necessarily the large, you know, anybody that joined the Mises Cox, like the whole Liberty Union, Unity thing with all these, you know, with all these podcasts was popped up in the, in the middle of the night. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I get I get the, you know, I get the desire for Kumbaya and Liberty Unity, but the Mises Cox is, was, was was meant to, at its best, was was a rejection of liberty. It was, it was saying that you know, yeah, we, we we are going to push a pure Austro-libertarian Mises Institute style libertarianism, and if you don't like that, well then we're going to take over your party. But if you once you embrace liberty unity, and you want to start attracting these sort of folks, well then, what, what's what's the purpose? Then? Oh yeah, and I, I don't I don't fault them. Like obviously, this is naturally cool. Yeah, that was naturally going to happen if they if they prioritized taking over the LP. Mm -hmm. you, you can't take, and what, what's the point of taking over a party and then stripping down an irrelevant third party to even smaller form? Like that's that's never what a political party was supposed to do, right? And and so like, I, you know, it, it makes, that, that pivot makes total sense, but it also makes the LP Mises Caucus totally useless. Mm -hmm. And so now what the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus really is, is, you know, you, you have two parts. You have people that are Dave Smith fans. And I, I understand the appeal of Dave Smith a lot more than I understand the, the relevance or the, the usefulness of the LP Mises Caucus. Mm -hmm. and so, the Mises, so the LP Mises Caucus now simply becomes a means by which they can secure Dave Smith the nomination yeah. in 2024, right? Mm -hmm. But but everything that they've said up to that point 
you know, oh, we're going to take over all these spots. Oh, we're going to get involved. Like I, you mentioned, oh, we're going to we're going to start focusing on state and local politics. What does the LPBC's caucus have to contribute? Libertarians interested in state and local politics. Oh, we've got a pack that we're going to donate. You know, we're going to donate a thousand dollars to a campaign. Okay, fine. But the second it comes out, if you're running in Bay County and you're getting money from an LP pack, then that thousand dollars is a net negative because you're associated with an anti-Republican party. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right, so, so get thinking about local politics and wanting to do good, who cares? Yeah. You know, it's the, the party itself is not the means to do it. Mm-hmm. So when I, when I think about the, the, the ability of the LP Mises Caucus and the GOP Mises Caucus, you know, working together, I think of it as, um, so in New York, we have a very interesting dynamic of how parties work. We have a conservative party, we have the yes. Republican Party, and we have the Libertarian Party. Mm-hmm. And I think they're a great example of how they they work together. Mm-hmm. And how they work together is if the part if the par- Republican Party candidate caves enough to their demands, they don't run somebody against them and they throw them on their ballot. Right. Even in my local town, um, most of my my mayor, most of my city council are on the LP ballot. They're on the Conservative Party ballot and they're on the Republican Party ballot. And that's kind of what I think about it. Um, our mutual friend, Marcel, who, if you guys don't know who that is, please check him out on Twitter. Um, but our local friend, Marcel, he explained it very well where the purpose of the LP should be, at least with the Mises Caucus, um, should be to say to Republicans, cave to our demands a little, and then if you don't, we will run a candidate against you and try to, you know, spoil the election for you or whatever. And, you know, that tactic can work. It works here in New York. But the problem I think right now is that a lot of people are still being very partisan about, I will vote LP and nothing else, you know, like, and, and that that's a problem. I think that's an, a, a major problem because if you're going to pass up a Liberty Republican running up because he doesn't have that L next to his name, um, you know, you're, you're in the way. You're, you're somebody who is not helping Liberty. You're in the way of Liberty. Right. I, I think theoretically that mm-hmm. is a model that, that can work. I've, I've discussed the New York model in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is, is that in practice we haven't seen any interest from the LP Mises Caucus of pursuing that sort of strategy. Mm-hmm. For example, again, the, the main goal of the LP Mises Caucus precise, is, is to run a candidate against a Republican in 2024 the presidential you know, election as yeah, you know, that that is the ultimate priority to try to get you know who might be a, a, a you know the most powerful speaker on these ideas out there right now. Again, I, 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 you know, Dave Smith is a, is a good person for that role, um, but the goal is not to negotiate demands from a you know, yeah. Trump campaign or or, a, or DeSantis campaign. It is to, to to make make your play there. Additionally, though, again, if, if this this carrot and stick approach presumes that for one they have the weight behind them to make a difference in the first place, right? Um, which I, I don't, yeah, it, it, it's always popular to um, blame third-party candidates after the fact, you know, Shane Hazel's race in Georgia, yeah. for example, among others. Um, I'm not too totally convinced um, uh, of that. But two, you, you have to be able to provide a, a carrot. Mm-hmm. And so, for example, um, if the LP party of Florida 
if the LP Mises Caucus actually, let's, 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 let's start there. The LP Mises Caucus was sincere in trying to do the strategy of, of you know, pushing the, GO, the, the GOP towards a more liberty direction. Then you you would you would go to the LP of Florida, which I believe is an LP Mises Caucus affiliated state mm -hmm. party, and you would tell them that you're going to endorse Ron DeSantis. And they will say, oh, but the bylaws. And then you would say, who cares about the bylaws? Fix, re rewrite the bylaws. Yeah. Right? And if you can't, then, okay, then, 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 then this entire thought experiment doesn't work, mm -hmm. right? But you'd endorse Ron DeSantis, and you'd make a big deal about the fact that, hey, you know, there's plenty of areas of disagreement. We hope to work to closer more in the future. But, you know, thanks to Ron DeSantis being governor, Floridians have had more liberty than anyone else in the world. Yeah. We're appreciative of that fact. And so he has our endorsement, you know, for, for the 2022 election. And I think Ron DeSantis' team would appreciate that endorsement. And that would show that the LP is willing to play, you know, to, to pat good Republicans in the back. But if it's, if it's just, you know, this idea that, uh, uh, you know, we're going to complain about Republicans unless they do what we want, and then we're going to complain. Like, you don't have that sort of thing. It's relevance. So you, you've got to provide value the other mm -hmm. way around. Yeah. I have not seen anybody, the LP, remotely interested in providing value to the Republican Party. And that includes any leadership in the LP Mises Caucus. And so, again, theoretically, I, I'm, I, that would be a much more interesting use of the LP. Mm -hmm. I just, the problem is, though, is that, you know, again, there's other ways. Is the LP, in particular, a vessel that is the best use of, you know, of that? I, I'm, I'm not particularly sure. I mean, can sure. the LP be used in that sort of way? Mm -hmm. Libertarians are not known for their socialization skills. Yeah, uh, by nature, so I'm, I'm skeptical of that. Yeah, I mean, so I I went to the uh, Take Human Action tour that they had mm -hmm. in Fairfax, and great I had speakers. yeah, great speakers. Um, and I had spoken to Heiss for a while. You know, I asked him, you know, if there was a Liberty Republican running, you know, like in a state representative race or uh, uh, like a local race. You know, would you want an LP, you know, just him being the founder of the Mises Caucus, would you want the Mises Caucus or the LP to run a candidate against them? And he, he said no, you know, and I think I think he's open to that. I think the main problem here now is, is what you said, that when it became more about taking over the LP and when it really kind of has, I mean, the the rest of the LP is completely irrelevant now. It's pretty much just the Mises Caucus people who are, you know, really getting anything done or, 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 or going to get anything done and within the LP, that is. A and, you know, it let in some types that they were critiquing. I mean, um, Todd Hagepin, yeah. uh, li Libertarian-in-Chief on boss Twitter. Baby. Yeah, the boss, the, boss, the boss baby. Not the one that shot somebody, the other one. Um, but, yeah, I mean, when they let in these types, it became back to LP normalcy. I mean, like, even the whole getting Dave Smith as the presidential candidate really worries me about the future of the LP Mises Caucus because the whole point was not to do this, to not, you know, get all excited about one presidential candidate for the LP and be like, he's going to do so good. He's going to get us so many results in the presidential election. When... The whole forwarding of the LP Mises Caucus is that at most the presidential candidate was supposed to be a messenger that would, you know, d trickle down down ballot. Like, like do 
work for down ballot candidates, get people excited for them, not the other way around and not take all the resources, um, which is often what happens, you know, like Joe, Joe, Joe Jorgensen was taking basically all the LP money and all the fundraising away from other candidates who probably actually could have won a race, you know, and, and, but then we had Joe Jorgensen, who costs, uh, you know, New, the New York LP their ballot access, cost a bunch of other states their ballot access because she couldn't even get uh, like five percent in most states. Yeah. yeah. So, and, um, and yeah, oh, go ahead. Well, I, I also think there's a, just a dynamic there where, again, you know, you could have a candidate. The interest in a third party run goes down the more politics becomes polarized. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think that, you know, for example, the high watermark was the LP uh, the 2016 run. I understand the argument that it was a missed opportunity. I mean, ultimately, Gary Johnson did lose to Ron Paul in that race, even though Ron Paul didn't run. Um, but it was a very successful in terms of the vote count. For the LP incredibly successful. Mm -hmm. Part of that, you know, I think it was. Gary Johnson was seen as a serious candidate, but sort of people looking for a third option there, in spite of everything Gary Johnson tried to do to dissuade them of those views. And, but like it was also because it was viewed that, you know, Hillary and Trump were kind of equally bad. And I don't think anyone, I, I think there's far fewer people that believe that anymore. There's some that believe yeah. Trump is even worse than they thought um, relative to Hillary. And there's some that, you know, he, he, Trump either won over um, or they not, they're now convinced, you know, understandably so, that the Democrats are literal satanic pedophiles. And so that tends to, to, to take away interest in a third party, if you believe Yeah. That. And so, again, I, I look, you know, if, if you're looking at a Kamala Harris versus a Ron DeSantis, Ron, just to throw that out there, who's disinterested in between the two? Mm -hmm. what, what libertarian would be, oh, yeah, the... the, the if you're a libertarian saying that these two are basically the same, okay, I I don't and then then you know I don't want I don't want to share a movement with you, right? Like that's just it's it's crazy talk. Yeah, um, and so that's the other side of it, is that you know again the the, the you know, they're trying to rerun 2016 in their heads. Mm -hmm. I, I understand. Yeah, you, know, you had an opportunity there, and and you know I understand not being happy with the results, but it ain't 2016 anymore, guys. Yeah, I. I agree that it, it is in 2016 and, you know, interest in the third parties is, is lower. I mean, 2020, you know, proved that um, even though, you know, like you can say, yeah, Joe Jorgensen was a weak candidate. She was and she pro probably if we had somebody okay. else, there yeah, might have been a little more interest, but not that much. But who else was running? I could, Jacob Hornberger wasn't going to rally the mass. Like a great yeah. guy, love him yeah. to death. But like you know, he's he's, you know, he, he wasn't going to be that guy either. You know, mm -hmm. but, yeah, yeah, you know, Larry Shaw. Yeah, you know, so it, it it is what it is. And then that's the other thing too, though. The Mises Caucus had four years to harpoon a whale to run, right? Mm -hmm. You know, that that was that was the whole thing. Four years, and they couldn't get anyone. So you know, they 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 ran the same candidate for chairman as they had before yeah they couldn't get anyone to run you know they and they they got jacob hornberger as the best candidate they could get to run to to, to you know be their candidate and then they 
you know, and that, I mean, I, and, and, and you know, who was successful was, was Spike Cohen, who was kind of a coalition yeah. candidate for the LP, um, which is great. I think, I think Spike Cohen is the best represent, you know, best representative the LP has. Yeah, um, I agree so with than, that. More so than Amash, and, and in some ways, just because he's been in the arena, and more, more so than Dave as a pure party candidate uh, representative. And, um, but, but, but Spike Cohen, I, I also don't think is a is, is a Mises Caucus original sort of guy either, right? Yeah. And and, and so now, so now, like if, if you know, which kind of goes to that, that, that previous point, and so you know, it, it but again, with Spike Cohen going to to get, you know. Would, would have Spike Cohen have done better than than uh, uh, Joe Jordan? I don't. I again, given the environment, I, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess there, there seems to be. I, I think there's a, there's an over romantic, you know, overly romantic sort of perspective of because we, you know, we we've been fueled this crap for such a long time, right? Like, you know, every every year you get, you know, it, it's I think they change turns on who who writes the article, but it's either Cato or Reese, and they put the thing like, oh, well, the majority of Americans are. You know, socially liberal and physically conservative, and <laughs> if only they recognized that libertarians were the the, you know, the people that that you know gave all their freedoms all the time, or whatever the, the little line is. Yeah, and it's, it doesn't work that way because you know it, it, it you know it, social tolerance is that you know, it, it doesn't really quite like you know when you actually real when, when you actually talk to the real people they really you know they're not just one good reason article away from yeah. becoming a, a, don- a Cato donor and. And you know, there's this. Oh well, you know, you have this, this, this anti-politics. Uh, you know, it's it's the Joe Rogan demographic and all that sort of stuff. And and they're acting as if, you know, the, oh, if only you, you got your average Joe Rogan listener familiar with libertarianism, they're going to see that, you know, it's the same. You know, you know, this this the, you know, these this is the ideology for them. And it's like, if if you're a Joe Rogan listener, you're already not listening to like mainstream political stuff, like. The idea yeah. that your average Joe Rogan listener has never been exposed to libertarianism I, is, I yeah, I don't really buy it. Like, you know, these these are, you know, like that, that's that's going to be the crowd that find, you know, I, I bet you if Ron, like Joe Joe Rogan's uh, uh, audience base disproportionately voted for Ron Paul, for yeah, his age, than your average platform, right? So it's not like, oh, well, you know, if only these 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 people that reject the the team red and team blue, if only they hear our, our message, they know, like it just. <laughs> The political political behavior is just not as it's turns out people vote for for who they think they're going to win more often than not like you know yeah. there, there is there, it isn't some sort of profound demonstration of of, of you know romantic political views that one has mm-hmm. and again a libertarian understands better than another like you know you know you know we should we should recognize that 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 is not the way democracy works and adapt accordingly yeah I I think a lot of libertarians uh think that we need to like convince everybody we need to convince or or the convince the majority uh to be diehard libertarians but i don't think that's the case and i don't think it will ever be the case that that that's achievable goal and i think really if libertarians are going to win regardless of what strategy it is the way to win is convincing them of an important position that leads downstream into the rest. So my my opinion is that that position is secession. Well, I, I, I think that definitely plays, you know, given the the broad attention to the topic, that's definitely, a, I think, a good focus and, and that applies to a lot of states out there. Um, and, and the other good thing, though, is that, again, 
libertarians can have outsized influence while being a small minority within a political movement. And, you know, for example, a lot more important than an L, than, than, than a candidate running for the LP uh, presidential nomination is a libertarian uh, getting on the Senate staff of Herschel Walker, mm-hmm. right? And again, you know, you know that, does, that, that, that takes, you know, a skill set, connections, working your way up and then playing the game. That's a lot more practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that, that's something that you, you know, one person, you know, you know, if, if, if you had a, a Mason grad with a PhD, yeah, uh, a, a, a Mason PhD that did their undergrad in Georgia and has interest in public policy, well, then, you know, start working Republican uh, rooms and see how you can get into Herschel Walker's campaign staff, right? Yeah. Um, that, you know, we, we can have outsized influences, I think. You know, the most successful libertarian was Martin Van Buren that got Andrew Jackson, who was less libertarian, to run. Um, and then he was able to work himself around him. Like, that's, that's, that's the, I think, the, the area that works best for any sort of genuine, hardcore ideological movement generally. Um, and again, it, it's, it's something that can be done. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the beauty of it is it's not democratic. You know, you, you, you've got you've to pick the icon that, that can win in a race. Uh, that's why I like the Herschel Walker example. Very rarely do a living statue who's run for Senate. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's like you, know, you find a guy that's is, is, is a popular nice guy, yeah. and then you, you put someone of strong ideology next to him. And the second it means that they're always going to listen to him. No, not necessarily. Yeah. Which was the case. But, like, that's 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 the way you can actually make, make inroads here. Mm-hmm. Um but, but again, though that that requires looking at libertarianism, you 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 have to look beyond libertarianism as, as kind of a, a movement per se. And I think libertarianism as a movement really rarely works, uh, because it's always necessarily trying to create this sort of third way approach to politics. You know, neither, neither left nor right. I think that is that is always the, the most toxic aspect of you know, the most undermining aspect of. of that was Trump's Trump libertarians, and and I also think that's it's it's a reason why not, I've thought about this a, bit, a great deal recently is that you have some people like Dave Smith has used the term recently, um, Jack Hunter likes to use it, um, but it's libertarian populism, mm-hmm. and and you know as someone who who is a, a fan of the populist strategy and, and uh, admirer of populist history, um, you know I, I used to think that it was a it was a it was a good term and a paid term. Um, I, I not think it's I think it's I not think it's a negative one. I, I think it it because it, it, it's it's a self deluding one mm-hmm. because there is no libertarian populism. Um, uh, because it, because it, it never really works as just hostility to the state because it, it tries to do so without any sort of cultural you know backing and it it's, and so it really you know populism is about rallying the ma- masses against their enemies basically right mm-hmm. and and so the only reason you use the qualifier libertarian rather than right is precisely because you're trying to reach both the left and the right simultaneously and then this guy and I, I i understand where they're coming from right you, you have this there's always this very romantic idea like oh well, you, you've got the anti-war left and and christian homeschoolers with the ron paul movement and you know look, look what happened right or or you know i've got my you know 
you know, I, I, you, you personally might have won over some some former left wing activists and some some Tea Party conservatives, and now like, mm-hmm. you, you know you're all Rothbardians. I get it. You know, anecdotally that works, but on a massive scale, you can't. You know, what what ultimately what actually mobilizes people is less economic uh, uh, policy. It's less, uh, uh, you know, the platform. It is concerns about. Uh, it, it's it's cultural concerns. It is. You know them feeling that their way of life is under attack by the other, and it's difficult. Like, and, and I, I don't think you can do that by transcending whatever is the cultural norms that they're see that they're defending. And so again, you can't have, you know, trainees for liberty in a coalition trying to to stop, uh, uh, you know, drag queen story hour. Mm-hmm. You know, at, at your local library, um, even even if even if let's let's say that the Chinese for Liberty were for totally totally got where they're coming from because like, they don't like government, you know, if, if they might be okay with it, but like you're not obviously it's going to be an instant turnoff from the sort of people that you actually need. Yeah, right? because the, the, because the number of people that that are outraged at Drag Queen Story Hour at the local library is a lot larger than the, the supporters of Chinese for Liberty, right? Yeah, well. And, and I think yeah. there's a unique opportunity to capitalize on that kind of stuff because, you know, a lot of the mainstream conservative movements, I mean, like, look at TPUSA, for example, who are indulging in that kind of stuff, and it's, it's you know, creating a backlash. You know, yeah. we, we, we saw that with the whole, the, the, the groipers or whatever. Yeah. And, it's easy to laugh at these. It's easy to yeah. laugh at, at, at Charlie Kirk and... And Turning Point USA, because because you think that you're better than I'm sorry, there's not a libertarian better than Charlie Kirk. Like, <laughs> you know, you know, are, are you are you smarter than Charlie Kirk? But who who cares? Charlie Kirk has more money than you do. Yeah. Sure. Charlie Clark Kirk has built a, a major organization that you know you know that 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 gets him access to you know all the power brokers he wants to have access to mm-hmm. on his side of the aisle. You know, the, who cares that he hasn't read his human action yeah you know, that's those sort of people you want as allies you don't want to laugh at them because like it makes you feel edgy mm-hmm. and 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 because you have envy that a guy that you think you're in is in your intellectual superior is having success that you can't even dream of and that's not you know like it, it, but, but unfortunately that's what often motivates a lot of this stuff in libertarian circles and, and, and I mean, the, the entire LP strategy is based on the fact that, that you know we're smarter than these sheep you should be voting for us but you're not because they're not smart enough to understand what we have to offer for you. like that's 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 the underlying zeitgeist of the political libertarianism mm-hmm. yeah and you know i i i agree as much as i don't like charlie kirk and tpusa he has crafted something and he has created it though i think it's starting to diminish in its influence mostly because of what, what you know, you can't have a coalition that is trying to stop Drag Queen Story Hour and then have, you know, um, trannies for Trump, which yeah. is, is the equivalent there. Um, yeah. You know, you, you have people yeah, like Lady Maga. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's the problem with Party Point USA. They're, very, they're, too, they're, they're far too libertarian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, ironically. Um, but, you know, we, we do have uh, an organization, and, and that, not to sell them again, but, you know, Young Americans for Liberty is, yeah. is crafting out that. But a lot of libertarians are still refusing to jump on that train or at least should jump on some of their more effective trains, mm-hmm. that being when at the door pack, because they work with Republicans. Yeah. You know? Well, and, and, well we, we, and, and the good thing is you don't need those people. The problem that what, what concerns me with Young Americans for Liberty, we've got a lot of great people there. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, air braking and to walk the walk. Um, Rick Cooley over there is, is, is yeah, I, I really respect him a great deal. I think he's, he's excellent and uh, the, the stagecraft of uh, the Al Revolution's event this year was fantastic. Top notch. But the problem is, though, is that their executive director is a libertarian. Yeah. And I don't, and, 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 and so what concerns me is that here you have an organization that has not done a great job winning elections. But has created their own liability. The, 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 with the board allowing a libertarian to be a, a leader of your organization, it is it was such a an astronomically stupid. If if if, if I was running against a Yale candidate, a Yale endorsed candidate, the first thing I do is to start pumping out my candidate has just been endorsed by a never Trump anti Republican organization with you know uh, uh, this this texas lp person as the head of the organization yeah Are you, do you think they're going to defend trump when they have a, an anti-trumper as the head of the organization then you put a, a screenshot with him and justin amash but when, when eric brakey uh lost his his congressional race what was the what, what was the the highlight of the mailer used to to to, to, to destroy his campaign it was justin amash and eric brakey you had a candidate here in uh, running for state house in 2018. Wonderful. Would have been the best person, you know, one of the best people that's going to state house. Like, you know, could get an Anthony Sabatini a run for his money. She was penalized because they ran a mailer with her and Justin Amash. And so now you have what has been an extremely effective, important, perhaps the most powerful libertarian organization. In you know in, in, in libertarian political history, that now has a dull as dishwater contributes nothing person as the executive director. Mm -hmm. So it's you know, and it, it's that's that's you know that's concerning. And so that's this that's the sort of stuff that you're looking around. And it's like you know does the LP Mises you know and then they're retweeting uh, uh, Shane Hazel. Yeah. Why would a political group retweet somebody? Whose only relevance is pissing off Republicans and giving the Democrats a seat. Again, I, I, there's nothing to take away. Again, again I, I, does this, this Lauren Doherty? Does she care about liberty? I have no doubt, right? I, I think she's a good person. It, it, does the board think that they're doing the right thing by, oh, we're going to promote, a, you know, a, 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 a libertarian woman as the head of organization, and we're going to show that this movement is for everyone, and you know, yada yada diversity? Fine, okay. I may have the best intentions in the world. It was with Shane Hazel content that they tweeted is as liberty as possible and show how how edgy they are and, and you know they're trying to attract you know 18 19 20 year olds looking for something a little bit different than the, than the turning point USA crowd fine it doesn't matter ultimately your goal or the goal of the organization is to, to, to convince boomers to vote for your candidate in the Republican primary or the other candidate and every single one of those things makes that mission harder in spite of the libertarian impulses underlying right? And so that's what concerns me, um, and 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 again, it just comes to the problem where you have libertarians prioritizing the wrong things when it comes to politics and trying to make politics be something that's not. Mm -hmm. um, you know. Yeah, that I mean that and, is another. And, you know, so yeah, that is that is another concern is that you know libertarians don't have much in the way of prioritizing. Does, does Yale want to be the, the Libertarian Party Mises Caucus? 
This fight is not the downgrade. Like they could do that. They could, they could, they could be they could be a, a more effective Libertarian Party Mises caucus. <laughs> I think that's a downgrade. I'd rather see the Libertarian Party Mises caucus try to be more like Yao. Yeah, I I actually I, I do agree that that it would be a downgrade. I mean like the even I think a lot of people um in the Mises caucus would would agree that that's a, that's a downgrade. At least a lot of the more OG people that I know um you know and I think some people do want to be more like the to be like Yao. And I think yeah, I, I agree with you. The new, the I immediately had concerns with the executive director. I'm not gonna, you know, go into that whole situation that happened um, with Yal and and Cliff Maloney. But you know, as soon as that was happening, I was I was worried because these are often opportunities for um, less savory members of of your organization to subvert it, and I think that in some ways they kind of have um you know she she i think she fails some of the pure even purity tests even if we were going to go oh well you know she doesn't hold all the positions she fails that too and if she fails both the strategy and the purity test what's the, you know what's the point and i think that libertarians in general have a real hard problem about prioritizing goals and prioritizing what needs to be done. I think the best example is the whole COVID and, and, you know, in Florida and other states, banning personal vaccine mandates, like for businesses. I think that's a real good example of prioritizing, you know, goals. A lot of people are like, yeah, well, it, it inhibits on a business's right to association. Well, guess what? We have a ton of those on the books. And the rest of those on the books, um, you know, aren't literally preventing people who would be, you know, uh, sympathetic to your causes and goals from working, from being able to participate in society. You know, though, though, those things, those bans, you know, are just as bad or, or just as bad, but you got to think about the here and now. And, and, and you got to think about how these mandates are being enforced by, you know, corporations that that they're not going to they're not going to go rally for libertarianism because you defended their ability to fire people who didn't get the vaccine. They're not going to do that. They are going to side with the state as they always have. And right. the idea that you're protecting them doesn't help anybody and it doesn't get anything done, um, whether or not you know, our principles say we should defend it. Well, I, I think it's important to just engage with structures of power as they actually exist. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, this kind of the politics of wish fulfillment is something that I think plagues libertarians a great deal. Because, you know, what we have, we, we, what we want to believe is, oh, if we simply stand the line and, and, and are the strongest advocates of property rights in general, then we can click our heels together and we'll get a property rights environment. I don't think that really works. And so, you know, when I look at, you know, so all of the arguments that are used to bash DeSantis and, and at the most absurd try to uh, genuinely, you sincerely uh, compare um, any state level issue, and they get Texas and Montana, those other states that do this as well, um, but they, they seriously try to equate protections against discrimination of unvaccinated people with 
Biden's mandate forcing, you know, employees to be vaccinated. It's, it's a silly comparison. Um, but we also have to recognize again, like when you're living in a civil rights legal regime, then you're the business, we do not have a private property environment. You as a business, you know, are not free to discriminate against X, Y, Z for a variety of reasons that the regime has said you can't do it. And so if libertarians, if political, if, 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 if those who are the most interested in property rights generally, um, when you have a government that is seeking to create a lower, a lower tier caste and, and to, to damage the lives and quality of life of dissidents. If we do not use the power of the states that we control to protect the civil rights of those dissidents, then we will have a regime where the only people it is allowed to discriminate and, and that, that, that we're having a state that actively promotes the discrimination of political dissidents. And what do you think that is going to happen in the long term for political liberty and property rights and all that sort of stuff in the future? Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to have fewer political dissidents. Right? You're, you're, you're going to have less wealthy political dissidents. Yeah. You're going to have less influential political dissidents because the system is set as such. And so to me, I, I think it, it is, you know, uh, 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 I was having a debate with someone, he's a lawyer up in, in Pennsylvania, I respect a lot, uh, you know, great guy, you know, but but he brought out the, the typical sort of refrain is that, well, you know, I'm concerned about your logic of the means justifying, the ends justifying the means. And, and my perspective is that, well, I think the other, other side is, is equally troubling. The, 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 the ends can disqualify the means. And, and so all of the, the libertarian arguments against attempts to protect the unvaccinated, protecting the rights of political distance in this country, every argument, you know, that is a sure way of making sure that the end result politically, however this all ends up, is a less libertarian one. Yeah. Because again, like the people that are the actual fresh and blood libertarians, libertarian allies, are the ones that, are the, the, that, that suffer directly from this. And we can't, you know, we, we can't sacrifice the people of our movement for an or for ter- interpretation of the ideas of the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it's, and it's something that, again, if, if you look throughout history, you know, Louis von Mises, you know, would, I do not believe would have would have said that there is no role here for protecting, you know, libertarians. I don't think Murray Rothbard would have would have ever the, the way you know, when they actually dealt with politics as it actually existed. Um, you know, they they weren't trying to justify and, and thought process their way to sterility. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was. They they, they 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 were trying to identify ways of genuinely pursuing human society towards a greater path of liberty and, and standing up to, you know, a a, a biomedical tyranny state, and, and and the privatization of it. Um, you know, again, it, it, I, I think I think the, the battle does become a lot more nuanced when we deal with small businesses and whatever. And I would be perfectly okay with some sort of carve out there, or whatever. But we cannot, if libertarians continue to treat corporations and this is true the big tech issues it's true all other things if they, if they continue to treat big tech issues as uh, uh or a big corporate issues as equal to theoretical thought experiments and dealing with small businesses or 
or other sort of things, then you're going to lose. Uh, government policy has directly led to the massive consolidation of corporate power in this country. Corporations are particularly vulnerable to the, the political diswill of the establishment. They have every single incentive structure in its place to become toadies of the regime. Uh, historically, we have seen this play out. And so, again, if, if, if libertarianism in the 2020s is all about uh, uh, using examples of small businesses to defend every policy, to defend any attempt to uh, uh, restrict you know, corporate policies that are actively detrimental against life, liberty, and property of Americans, um, then, then that is a brand of libertarianism that is, is not simply uh, uh, not politically uh, uh, viable with a large percentage of people, becomes actively harmful uh, to to the romantic ideas that they're trying to sell. Yeah, and and on you know Mises being you know um, we we would not be on these people's sides. I mean, just look at his situation in World War Two. I mean, he allied himself with the fascist party for the purpose of that. His his two other options were. The Nazi Party of Austria, who wanted him dead, or the Communist Party of Austria, who wanted him dead. You know, and he realized that there were some goals that needed to be fulfilled now at the cost of, you know, other goals being fulfilled now. But he saw a future at which he could fulfill all those goals. And some of that meant that sacrificing some of those goals now. And I think even better example now is um you know people who everybody in the Mises caucus loves Hoppe Hoppe now Hoppe still works in Europe like Hoppe is a big figure in Europe because he is able to work with right wingers who you know aren't full on die hard libertarians but he gets libertarian goals satisfied i mean look in Poland you know Poland has a government that isn't fully libertarian or a, a right wing party that isn't fully libertarian but yet, he still gets libertarian goals accomplished. And I think, you know, a lot of people are, uh, you know, kind of, kind of ignoring the ideas and the experiences of the people that they, you know, claim to, claim to admire, to, to love and, and trust. And I think that, that, that that's like a very dangerous way to go about it. You know, I, I absolutely, but I, I, I agree uh, on that, and I think that, uh, uh, and that, that's also just where I, I think that libertarians would be better off just reading more history, mm-hmm. history of the movement, history in general. You have a lot of libertarians that uh, know a lot about history, but often it's kind of in a pre-chewed ideological narrative, which is fine. I mean, Rothbard has a lot of those. You know, Tom yeah. Lawrence's books are great. Like, there's nothing wrong. With, with reading your history from libertarian, but but I think that there's even, uh, but it, it's also important to get your history from non-libertarians. Because for one, it's just it's it's good intellectually to identify, you know, smelling the rat, you know, where where, where it is. Like you, it's always good to try to identify where those biases pop up on on, on other perspectives. Um, but also, there's just a lot to lot to learn, and and I, I think that there there often is this trap. Where libertarians kind of build their own libertarian, libertarian ghetto, um, <laughs> uh, uh, both in terms of just social media mm-hmm. and, and just general content consumption. So, like, yeah. if all you're doing is listening to, to libertarian podcasts, even great ones like this, 
if, if you're simply reading libertarian websites, if, if you're watching libertarian YouTube videos, if you're reading your history from libertarian writers, yeah. um, you know, that's going to make you a very strong, passionate libertarian. Like, and, 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 you know, a yeah. lot of people have to say that, that, that that's good enough, but like, there are lessons that can be learned from, from drinking outside of, of that stream. Um, and, and I think particularly with, with in terms of political strategy um, and, and finding ways of, of making these ideas stronger, uh, I think there's a tremendous amount of value yeah. out there. I, I agree um, entirely, and, and I'm actually really glad you brought that up because uh, something I've been doing a lot recently has been reading non-libertarian writers. Um, one, uh, you know, uh, like I, I've been reading Lenin. I've been reading Hegel, I've been reading all these other people who are not libertarians by any stretch of the imagination, but they have things to teach libertarians, and I think one in particular is Hegel um, with uh, the dialectic, it's called the master-slave dialectic, and it's the idea that society is a battle between masters and slaves, and the the, the winners of the battles are the slaves who are willing to you know, give up everything. They are willing to, to give up their principles, their ideas. They're willing to give up their very lives in order to win. And then they, if they do such, they can succeed and become the masters. And I think, and I think politics is a lot like this, you know. And I think that, you know, some libertarians could learn from this and learn that really all movements that have ever been successful have done this. They have risked everything for success and libertarians are not willing to do that they are not willing to risk principles they are not willing to risk um their lives they're not willing to risk you know their their purity tests and for that they'll never succeed i think i kind of wanted to hear your take on that yeah i i, I think that for a lot of libertarians their, their identity has become you know their political persona, I think, is it is uh, amplified when you're a lot of your there's a, there's a lot of libertarians that they, they think that their 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 closest circle of friends is you know their little Twitter bros or or you know the, the Facebook group or, or whatever like that, and you know it's better than having no I, I I'm not yeah. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to diminish um, uh, what you know online friendships sure. are can be but but the problem is though is that when 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 you're a lot of your your best most quality social interactions come from the movement mm -hmm. then it's difficult you know you, you, you know you, you have you don't want to go outside the movement right you know, like it, it's it's you know that is what you know it, it is it is it is your libertarian ideology that you take the greatest amount of pride in and so it's, it's natural to want to protect that yeah and so you don't so, so, so you, you you become very very sensitive to friendly fire from you know we, we always treat heretics and 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 uh, uh, uh penalize disloyalty you know right more than any of the sin mm -hmm. out there right and so that i that's also i think why you end up having um you know what the libertarian movement is, is a history of uh, very epic personality battles yeah. That uh, often be, you know, we, we already attract a certain sort of quirky individual um, more than others. Um, you combine that, and so, and so you always have this dynamic where, uh, uh, you know, what, what might begin 
as a uh, substantial, honest, intellectual disagreement, uh, you know, it ends up becoming a, a multi-decade-long hate campaign, and you know, from different camps. Um, Murray Rothbard's biography might be <laughs> have a few of those um, um, within it, and and so yeah, that there is that dynamic there where you know it's all about protecting, you know, your brand, your your your, your tribe, your your online community. Yeah. Um, where and, and so you become more interested in kind of the theoretical, this, this, this theoretical uh, uh, thought experiment sort of aspect to it, rather than engaging in your own community as a flesh and blood individual engaging with your neighbors and trying to identify common ground with you know the boomer republican down the street or you know whatever um and i i think that you know again if, if you're a young libertarian out there and you're trying to figure out how can you improve your influence within your community for example my one of the easiest ways to do it would be you know put down the rothbard for a month um, they'll go back to it afterwards, right? Yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> um, but put down the Rothbard for a month and read your local history. Mm-hmm. You know, go to the local library and, you know, find a few inter- – you know, find the father of your little downtown area and go read about a story. Yeah. Know? And 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 because then what you're doing is you're now building you know, an intellectual – you know, you can actually apply sort of the lessons for reading history, so the lessons of social studies and, and you know, all this framework that you've, you've done as a, as a good libertarian. You can now jump out of this theoretical world, jump into your own community, and you can do your own work. Yeah. You know, and, and chances are very few people do this. And it's always – particularly the younger you are, you know, you always have a dynamic where, you know, the little old ladies and the, the old grandfathers always love, oh, you know, junior, like, you know, it's always great to see a young person you know and you know that dynamic is working in your favor and all of a sudden you know you, you can start using talking about cool local history stories as a way of building up your your social capital within your community which raises your influence in your community mm-hmm. which now gives you the, the opportunity to then express your ideas from your libertarian perspective on broader things because now people have some reason to, to think you're interesting that does require you being a libertarian, right? Yeah, and and so there's there's all these little things where you know, I I understand why you know, again, I remember the peak of the, the Ron Paul days and you know, you know you, you have two thousand friends on Facebook that you know all are on the liberty movement and and you know, yeah. I, you know, that, you know I, I get that sense of community and camaraderie and this there's, there's, there's a lot of great people you meet along the way and it's all that it's not none of this is bad but it can't be the only thing and I think a lot, for a lot of libertarians um, it, it does become too much and. Uh, yeah, they're wrong with that. Million people don't afford no reason to beat yourself up over it. You know, yeah. there's, there's scolding here. And just you know, it's always recognize that there's some healthier behaviors that you might be able to engage in going forward. Yeah, I agree, and um, I think that's a good note to end on. Um, I think we talked about a lot of good things, and I think you know, uh, I think strategy is becoming more and more important for libertarianism, um, uh, especially as you know, there's a bit of a movement now brewing to care about that more um my last guest pete pete canones uh you know that's all we talked about is 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 the the move towards strategy so i i really do appreciate you coming on and talking about that i think we got a lot of um covered a lot of ground i think there's a lot of things that people should really you know think on uh that we both discussed and uh yeah i appreciate you being on 
Uh, if there's anything you want to plug, feel free to plug it now. Yeah. Um, you know, if you do not have a copy of Economics and One Lesson, uh, you should go to Mises.org slash One Lesson, and you'll mm -hmm. get a free copy. Uh, you know, we uncover shipping and handling. Yep. Um, I'm trying to think of anything too big in Mises.org on your Australopitarian needs. Um, and uh, you have Rothbard Rockwell Report. I've got some of the old 90s Rothbard articles over there. I need to publish some new ones over that. Um, and uh, uh, I think later this week, I'm going to be re-releasing, re-relaunching the Redneck Riviera podcast from my All buddy right. Ford Sues, um, where we're kind of, we'll be talking about politics and religion from a, uh, a panhandle politics perspective. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're, hopefully we'll, they'll become regular. Uh, we've got three libertarian events this past past three three weeks, and yeah. uh, there's a lot of a lot of interest in it. So, we're there, so see, we'll see if, uh, see if we can get a regular yeah, schedule after great. that. Great. And uh, on the economics in one lesson, I have a box of those from the Mises Institute in my car. There you go. I give it to one copy every time somebody gets in my car. So that's a small little yeah. thing you can do to help spread libertarianism. Wow. It's just get one of those packs and you know give it out to people you know. We've um, given away I think over seven over seventy thousand already. Wow. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for being on though, and uh, have a wonderful day. Excellent. Thank you, Peyton. Yeah. No problem.